from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you haven't heard a couple hours ago, Steve Scalise, who yesterday was uh, the the official nominee of the Republican Party to serve as Speaker of the House, uh, has dropped out of the race for Speaker of the House. And uh, this is an interesting development. And, and I'll tell you, it was interesting how I was had, I'm having some work done in my house in the bathroom. And uh, the guy who's a friend of mine who's uh, doing the work for me, he he tells me, he's like, you know, your guy, Trump guy's no good. Anything he endorses falls apart, this, that, and the third. And he's like, you know, Steve Scalise seems to be like a decent guy. You should, you know, you should be happy that, that they've agreed on him. And I said, look, he, I don't think he's, I don't know that he has all of the votes. Um, we have to see when this goes to vote, if it's going to work out. And just a few short hours later, that was probably around 6 PM around 8 PM. We hear that uh, representative Scalise has withdrawn his name from the house speakers race. And, um, of course, this comes on the heels of many members, as you heard uh, Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne last night uh, explaining her frustration that we there was an agreement. We thought we had an agreement. We thought we were moving forward because they need to move forward on a number of issues. And and I can say again, I'm, I'm, when these things happen, I'm always of two minds. I can't sit here and say, stop playing games, get your work done, because while part of me feels that way, the other part of me says, you know what? Uh, this is our Republican action. This is people doing what they've got to do. And I would love it if it were a little cleaner and neater and, and more timely, <laughs> not in the middle of, of this big fight that we're having uh, over funding, the big fight that they're having in um, in the Middle East and so many things that are happening where we really need to be more unified than ever. Uh, but at the same time, we need the right person. And Scalise is uh, apparently no longer interested. The uh, vote that he won yesterday was 113 to 99 uh, many of the members of Congress uh, had issues with the decision that Jim Jordan uh, was not going to be the favorite, and a lot of them wanted him to to stay in the race. So uh, I'm not sure how much of that um, is a factor in this. I'm pretty sure it's a whole lot of it. Uh, Tom Emmer, who's the current minority whip, he also um, has uh, reportedly expressed interest in running for speaker as well. And I believe Trump's endorsement remains with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. So uh, we have uh, an audio clip of Congressman Steve Scalise making that announcement. Check this out. I just share with my colleagues that I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the speaker-designee. Uh, if you look at over the last few weeks, if you look at where our conference is, there's still work to be done. Uh, our conference still has to come together and is not there. Uh, there are still some people that have their own agendas, and I was very clear, we have to have everybody put their agendas on the side and focus on what this country needs. This country is counting on us to come back together. This House of Representatives needs a speaker, and we need to open up the House again. But clearly, not everybody is there. Now, Scalise, uh, Scalise is explaining 
his rationale for doing that. And again, my thinking is that there is enough of a of a political will to not go against Scalise, but more so for Jordan. This is just my speculation. This is uh, what I felt. And um, I think um, maybe I'm right. Who knows? We'll, we'll see as, uh, as this plays out. Uh, but it seems to me that there will be galvanized support around Jordan uh, now that Scalise is out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's naive of me to say. Maybe this becomes very um, contentious and bitter. I don't think so. I really do think that they're going to get around uh, Jordan. I think this was just a move to solidify around Jordan. Uh, but in so much as that's going on, this is um, the rest of what Scalise had to say. I never came here for a title. I've had some great titles. I'm the majority leader of the House, and I love the job I have. I've had big challenges in my life. I've been tested in ways that really put perspective on life, really the 2017 shooting, when I didn't know if I was gonna make it out alive, taught me what's important in life, and that's my family, my faith, and I'm blessed beyond belief. Uh, I have absolutely uh, all the right perspective, and I still have a deep, deep passion for making sure we get our country back on track, and get our conference fixed again. I think uh, so many of us that are listening to uh, Representative Scalise uh, agree with him that we, we want to see this conference as strong and as as um, united as possible. And, of course, it's politics, and there's always going to be a give and take. And uh, my hope is that people will do what politicians do and cut whatever deals they have to make to get to the next step in this process where we can have a speaker. Uh, I'm hopeful that it'll be um, Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio. We'll have to see how that plays out. But there are a number of people out there that are pushing for Jordan. Uh, Congressman Tom Massey has uh, been vocal in his support for Jordan. And he also uh, put out a, a poll on his Twitter account where I, this is where I'm supposed to say formerly known as X, uh, asking his constituents who they would prefer and uh, Jim Jordan was the favorite, according to that. And this is uh, according to the post-millennial at around 8 p.m. Now, Jordan said on Wednesday yesterday that he would offer the nomination to Scalise on the floor of the House. But things are changing so rapidly now that Scalise isn't even seeking the nomination for speaker anymore. So don't know exactly how it's going to go, but we will keep you posted on this every step of the way. Now, that's that. Now, uh, other issues that, you know, continue to go unaddressed because of so much of the newness of the news cycle uh, with things breaking at night and whatnot. Uh, we still have this report that came out a day, a day ago, two days ago. The Biden administration has let 99 percent of illegal immigrants stay in the U.S. since taking power in uh, 2021. And this is according to uh, a report released by House Republicans on Monday. The, the report found, again, I mentioned this last night, but worthy of repeating, uh, 2,000, excuse me, 2,148,738 illegal aliens had been released into the United States by the Department of Homeland Security uh, from when the time that Joe Biden came into office until March 31st of this year. Absolute insanity. Uh, the border's wide open. We're seeing what happens when you lose control, uh, kind of what what's going on in Gaza. Uh, I would hate to see a nightmare scenario like that unfold here. And I think the Biden administration is really dragging their feet or willfully complicit in something like that happening here because things are moving fast, really, really fast. And it doesn't look great. 
Anyway, some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, I want to talk about some of the parallels between the uh, attacks of 9-11-2012, the attack on the uh, U.S. Embassy in uh, Benghazi, Libya, and the war that's going on in Gaza. And we're going to do that in a little bit with um, one of the stars of the movie, 13 Hour. He wasn't—he was one of the real people from the movie. Oz is going to be with us. Uh, his real name, Mark Geist, and um, he was a member of the Annex security team that fought in the Battle of Benghazi. We're going to talk about that and about uh, his new book as well. Uh, we're also going to talk with Frank Gaffney a little bit after that. He's scheduled to join us. We're going to talk about what's going on in Israel. Uh, with uh, the Israeli Defense Forces now having launched 6,000 bombs on Gaza. And the death tolls, again, remain um, staggering, absolutely staggering. And, of course, uh, an update on what's going on with parents and children across the country as the left continues to try and make their move on your children. These are our children. We have to say hands off, so we're going to get into that. Plus your calls and more on Open Phone America. And the phone number for that, again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES, if you want to chime in on any of these topics while we have our guests on. And, of course, the third and final hour of the program is reserved for you, the listeners, to call in and sound off. So uh, keep it locked right here. Get really comfortable. We've got a lot to discuss, a lot of amazing guests tonight, and I'm looking forward to an amazing show with you all. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I say to you, I say to all of us, there will be many difficult days ahead. But I have no doubt that the forces of civilization will win. And the reason that's true is because we understand what is the first prerequisite of victory. It's what you just said in our meeting. Moral clarity. This is a time, a particular time, a special time that we must stand tall, proud, and united against evil. Tony, you are taking that stand. America is taking that stand. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, America, for standing with Israel today, tomorrow, and always. That is Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at a news conference today with uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in Israel and uh, making the resounding call that this is a time we must stand united against evil. I agree with that. And when he says there's difficult times ahead and that we have to stand against evil, uh, I, I couldn't agree with him anymore. I think Netanyahu's right on the money with that. And, of course, evil rears its head in many ways and has at many times in our history. And I, I can't help but think of the parallels that we see with both this um, surprise attack on Israel as well as the uh, surprise attack that happened back on 9-11 of uh, 2012 with the uh, attack on the uh, embassy in uh, Benghazi, Libya. And, you know, we, we, we look at that and we had hearings about it and hearings upon hearings upon hearings. And at the end of the day, all I can think of is, you know, you have to be prepared and you have to, you know, just 
really, I guess, think like the enemy. Because when you least expect it, it seems to be when they always seem to strike. And one of the members of the Annex security team that fought in this battle of Benghazi way back when was Mark Geist. You know him as Oz if you've seen the movie 13 Hours. And uh, Mark Geist has a new book. It's 13 Hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi. And Mark Geist is with us. Oz, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. You bet. So, I mean, uh, you, you heard the comments right now from Prime Minister Netanyahu saying we have to stand up to evil. How do you react to that? Well, we do. I mean, you know, you see it across uh, the world. Um, I mean, in, and in the United States, we're seeing, you know, those, that demonic presence is what it seems like that is coming. You know, that it's, it's if, if there's God, there's a devil and the devil is trying to take over. Um, we know that he can't win this. Um, but this is what we're seeing in the Middle East is the Sunni tribes of Hamas and Hezbollah backed by Iran are trying to um, take out, um, you know, follow their path. And what they've always said is they want to destroy Israel. And, you know, it's and they're destroy, they're trying to destroy the peace accords that President Trump had put in place between Saudi Arabia and Israel and the UAE and Israel, which are a separate tribe. That's the Shia, the Shia tribe or the Sunni tribe there. And the uh, Hezbollah, Hamas and Iran are Shia. And, uh, you know, they fight against each other as well. And we need to make sure that we don't let them interfere with the peace that we have in the Middle East. As uh, you know, that was set forth by President Donald Trump. Of course. And of course, you're referring to the Abraham Accords. Uh, which uh, I think always goes underreported and and is definitely being undone as we speak now in with your based on your experience uh, d- would you say that this was an intelligence failure uh, maybe people being too comfortable in in their security or can you just never really predict evil well I, you know I, you're right you in one sense you can never you can never predict it um, you just have to be prepared for it and that's one thing with Israel is Israel um, from my experience of being around them and the people I know from there, is they are always prepared because they are at the footstep. Um, you know, they are at the palisades of the, of evil. Um, they're standing on that wall. And uh, but at the same time, it's you know I, I call it my six P's: prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Hmm. And if you're not ready, whether it be in Israel or very well could happen here, you know. Um, We've had open borders for the last two and a half, what, two, two and a half years of the president of, of the Biden administration. And we have no idea what's been coming across those borders. And I can bet money um, that there are bad guys. There are terrorists. There's evil people who wish to do us harm in the ways that we're seeing in Israel right now. And if we don't, um, we're not careful. We will get attacked again. It, that's uh, that's it's scary stuff. And the other night I shared with um, with a former general who was on the program that, you know, for for years uh, I've had family members of mine telling me, listen, we're, we're going to get attacked from within. There are people pouring across the border. And and I was always very uh, skeptical to, of this saying, look. I know there's a lot of people coming in and I don't want them to come in and we should shut the border down and we should lock it down and we need border security. But a bunch of women and children and and guys that are barely five feet tall 
aren't going to be the death of America. However, that seems to have changed in the videos that I'm seeing of people coming across the border. Now I'm seeing, you know, 100, 150 guys that uh, are Asian. I don't know if they're from China or where, but they're coming in. You're seeing, you know, um, hundreds of, of men, young men, all young, physically fit men that are coming in from northern Africa and, and other places that it, it isn't these um, guys that are barely five feet tall and women and children anymore. There seems to be a real mix. Plus, we have all these gotaways that we can't quite put our finger on. Uh, how how um, eminent do you think a threat is at, at this point regarding our national security? Well, I think it's very I think it's very probable that something's going to happen soon. Um you know, it's going to take the right people that are making that, that are doing, that are looking for that. You know, they're going to look at soft targets um, and they're going to look at when we are most distracted. And, you know, with the way that the left and the fight, the left and the right have been going at each other for the last, I don't know, I'd say probably eight to 10 years, you know, we were a two party government and our worst fear is that we become a two-party government and our people's loyalty is to the party before it is to the country. And that's what we got to turn around is we need to turn around and get away from this hating each other and loving this country. We see, you know, kids are being taught to hate this country and that it isn't the great country that it is. We haven't changed. You know, they're, they're not being taught the changes that we've made over the last 100, 150 years with the Industrial Revolution and all the good things that come of it. And, you know, by no means is this country a saint, but if we don't teach our kids to love it, they're not going to serve in the military. We're seeing recruiting problems as we speak, Mm -hmm. and it's because the quality of young men and women that we're raising this day and age is not the same as it was when I was a young man. Well, I want to get into that. Uh, The... um the constant problem that we have to recruit people. And I want to learn more about your book as well and get your thoughts on a couple of other topics. Folks, we're on with Mark Geist. You know him as Oz. If you've seen the movie 13 Hours and he's got a a brand new book, 13 Hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi. We're going to hear about that story as well when we come back. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. If you want to join the conversation, our phone number is uh, 4825-337-8334-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with Mark Geist. You know him as Oz. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
All right, amigos, welcome back. Uh, we're having a really good conversation with Mark Geist. Uh, you know him as Oz from the movie 13 Hours. He's the real-life member of the Annex security team that fought in uh, the uh, embassy in Benghazi, Libya. His brand-new book, 13 Hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi. And uh, we left off with discussing the recruitment problem that our military faces because we're raising children that hate America because of the education establishment, because of so many things that have been popularized in culture where it's, it's almost cool and the thing to do to not love your country and to, to support every one of our enemies as if they're the good guys and we're the bad guys. And that's definitely part of the problem. Uh, but I think another part of the problem is the, the lack of understanding, the lack of awareness of something that Mark mentioned earlier, which was uh, how much this country has achieved historically uh, from fixing social ills uh, to the Industrial Revolution and the industriousness overall of our nation. And Mark Geist, I wanted to, um, you know, kind of just put a pin in all of that to get your your take on what do you think it, it takes for us to move forward? Excuse me. Uh, you know, I think it takes um, the right leadership. We need some leadership that is not beholden to the special interests, who loves the Constitution, who is going to stand up for what it is, and and not just be a not not just be a puppet that's t- telling everybody the right thing. We need the right leadership put back in place, and somebody who loves this country. Um, and I think that's a, that's what it's going to take. And it's going to take each and every man and woman across this country that still understands that, you know, we were given this great nation and the rights that we have are given to us by God, not by man. And it is that that is what truly matters. I mean, we've, we've taken Christ out of our schools, out of our families, out of our churches in some cases, mm-hmm. definitely out of our government and our military. And that's where you need it most. I mean, Amen we're sending young men and women off to do so, see and do some of the most horrific things that you can do to another person. And if you don't have, if you're not right with the Lord, you're going to struggle with that that um, evil that has to be done because it's the only way to get through it is with the is with your relationship with Christ. Amen, brother. I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about the book and really and about your story um, yeah. as part of the uh, I think so many of us have seen the film, heard the book. Um, uh, some of your colleagues have also given interviews on this, uh, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it because I think it's a it's just an interesting um, look at history where you guys were serving as as contractors uh, providing security. Is that right? Yeah, we were. Um, our team was um, six people, myself, Tonto, Tig, Jack, DB, and Roan. And the six of us were private military contractors for the Central Intelligence Agency, um, better known as the uh, Culinary Institute of America. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's, um, that's what we were doing there. And we had a consulate that was about a mile um, away from us as the crows fly, as a crows fly. And, uh, you know, they were sitting on about eight acres and they had five diplomatic security officers to protect that eight acres, which was 
completely inadequate. Um, you know, there's times to give up your, that you sacrifice, um, security for safety because you want to be more low key, but, um, you're not going to hide eight acres of a U.S. consulate. And unfortunately, uh, the administration at the time didn't pay attention to those on the ground, didn't listen to what they had to say and, uh, left them in a very precarious, uh, situation when they got attacked that that evening of September 11th 2012 so as they um, they got attacked and again I know um, that was misrepresented by many in the media as oh it's just a YouTube video it's just this it's just that and whatever what have you uh, but they're under a, a, a real attack and and um, uh, Chris Stevens was his name I believe that he, he was murdered yeah ambassador uh, Stevens yep and it, it, this becomes a, a huge ordeal an attack on America. Um, how do you guys fit in? Well, you know, we were, like I said, we were at another compound about a mile away. And, you know, we knew that the guys, because we had talked with them, we'd seen their security and what they had. And that, you know, they were, if they got attacked, it was not going to be good. And the moment, you know, pretty much the moment they um, said that they were under attack, and it really actually wasn't they were under attack. They had been ran had been taken over by 40 armed individuals. Um, and they got taken over. They did what they were trained to do as security, doing what their protocols were at the time. And because of that, though, um, that's why they got overran so easy. And we weren't going to let that happen. Uh, you know, I was on my way back from a meeting with uh, a case officer when the rest of the team made their way over there and uh you know two went up on some elevated positions to look for to be able to see inside the compound also provide cover fire why while the other three jack tig and roan went down the main street come up in through the front of the consulate you know and um a lot of people always ask me you know what do you how does how does three people take over a eight acres a compound that's occupied by 40 armed individuals and you know it's through the element of surprise and the sheer um, exercise of violence, extreme violence. And, uh, you know, when they came through that front gate and they started t- putting people down, it was a surprise to them because they didn't expect it. And uh, they literally overwhelmed them, killed a bunch of them and pushed them out of the consulate within uh, a very short period of time and able to then try to secure everything. And they started searching for the ambassador and Sean Smith. Now, this the, the title of your book is 13 Hours, and uh, many have seen the film, uh, but walk us through uh, why your book is called 13 Hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi. Well, you know, the story was being told by the media and by um, the administration at the time of what it wasn't. You know, they they did a media campaign on the morning of the 12th and the 13th and just blasted it for the next couple of weeks about what it was. And, and I think both sides handled it all very, uh, you know, very unprofessional, but, um, you know, the once they did that, we as a group, you know, our, the five remaining team members of, uh, the, the security team in Benghazi decided that, you know, we need to make sure that this story gets told, as we lived it, you know, you, people can disagree with it. They don't have to say this and that, but I can tell you, 
the book and the representation of the movie um, is, was as good as you can get when it comes to describing what was there and how we lived through it and what we did. Um, and it was from our eyes and ears and the, what we, you know, what we did, the surviving members, and we were able to put it together in a wonderful book called 13 Hours. Outstanding. Uh, folks are on with Mark Geist. He's a, a member of the real annex security team, uh, CIA contractors that fought in the battle of Benghazi back in 2012. And looking at, uh, using that as a base point for analysis of what's going on across the world today. And we're going to continue that discussion straight ahead. If you want to join the conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. They just said, we found Emily. Uh, she's dead. And I went, yes! I went, yes! And smiled. Because that is the best news of the possibilities that I knew. That was the best possibility that I was hoping for. That is the voice of Thomas Hand. He is uh, the father of Emily, who we just referenced, who uh, was discovered dead at the hands of Hamas in the um, murderous war that was waged against uh, Israel over the weekend and continues today. And our guest, Mark Geist, you know him as Oz from the film 13 Hours. He's the real-life hero uh, from that movie. He was a real-life member of the Annex security team working as a CIA contractor in Benghazi, Libya, at the time of that attack. And uh, I can't help but see the, the, the parallels between the two. And Mark Geist, when you hear um, Thomas Hand talk about, you know, being grateful that, his, that he found out his daughter was dead, that she was murdered, when you're grateful that your own kid is not alive because of the, the rape and torture and what other possibilities exist... How does how does that make you feel? Like, what's your reaction to that? You know, the first reaction I just, it, when is the same thing I have when any child gets hurt, and that's just immediate rage and wanting to uh, to show them what they're give them the same fear that they're putting in kids and women across the country or in you know in, in this effect around the world. Um, it's uncalled for. It's not necessary. And, uh, and then, you know, it's the Bible says, and I can't quote too much scripture, but, um, the, you know, those who hurt our children, you have a greater chance of swimming with a millstone around your neck than, uh, getting into heaven, basically. So, uh, that's kind of, 
you go after you go after our children. That comes becomes a very personal thing. You, you know, Mark Geist. I wish um, many, or if not all, in our administration shared your your passion to defend our country and defend children. It seems like with uh, the death toll now up to twenty seven Americans confirmed uh, murdered by Hamas and uh, many more hostages, we 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 seem to, in my opinion, I feel like we're not responding fast enough. Uh, is that presumptuous of me, or is this the right thing to do? No, I think you're not being presumptuous at all. I mean, um, you know, I got a phone call Sunday morning um, from a from an acquaintance whose sister was trapped in Bethlehem, along with 83 other uh, church parishioners from uh, their hometown in North Dakota, who had went on a tour to Israel and just happened to be there when the attack came. Um, they had gotten a hold of the State Department, and the State Department told them, there's no emergency at this time. Just stay where you're at, and we'll call you. And, uh, you know, and, and it just didn't feel right to a lot of them. And um, my friend's sister reached out, and he reached out to me if we could help. And, you know, we just, and I got to give, this is not glory to me. This is glory to, to Christ above who you know, who happened, I was able to get a hold of some people who I know who are in country that are Isra- that live in, you know, that are Israeli and live in Israel. And through them, we're able to help these people end up making a decision, you know, and, the, and really the courage goes to the individuals that were there to make the decision once they had more enough information on what kind of decision to make and what are the probabilities and they were able to then make the decision to go to Jordan instead of trying to get back to an airport where that was being shut down. And they got, uh, all of them got home this week. Oh, wow. Amen. Yeah. That's great to hear. But not everybody has yeah. a Mark Geist that they can call, right? And not everybody has, has that ability. And, and, and I feel like it's incumbent upon the United States, the commander in chief, Joe Biden, who I call Joe El Baboso Biden, uh, to, to really <laughs> do the right thing here. And I feel like, yeah, uh, uh, like, I feel like, and again, I, I, I don't have any family in Israel, but I just think Americans are being sold out, and it just seems so wrong to me. It, and it is, you know, it's, um, it, it is from the very get-go, and the lies that are being perpetrated or being told, you know, when I think it's been, and I can't give the exact dates, but um, there's been three times in the history of, Israel that they were going to make it a two party, you know, a two party, not a two party, but a uh, two state solution, know, a two race. Yeah, they, yeah, and uh, every time the, the Palestinians turned it down, they could have had their own state, ran it the way that they wanted, but they want the whole thing, and that's greed and hate and that evil that you were talking about, rearing its head to keep people fighting. Um. You know, that's the easiest way to trying to separate two groups, get them to not like each other. If you can get them to not like each other, you can get them to hate each other. And if you get them to hate each other, they're going to be able to do, you know, they can kill each other. And um, and that's what we got to be looking at and rem- remembering what this is truly about here on Earth. Now, Mark Geist, uh who is the author of 13 Hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi. I want you to let everybody listening know how they can get a copy of the book. 
Um, you know, the best way, I mean, obviously you can order it on Amazon, but um, you'll either be getting a soft cover or maybe a used hardcover. Uh, but if you go to my website, markgeist.com, um, we have books for sale, uh, hardback edition books, and um, they'll be autographed by myself, and uh, that's the best place to get them. All right, and that's M-A-R-K-G-E-I-S-T dot com. Is that right? Correct, yep. Folks, check out markgeist.com. Get a copy of the book. Get two copies. Give one as a gift. Christmas is in like five minutes. It's almost November. 13 hours, the inside account of what really happened in Benghazi. Mark Geist is the author. You know him as Oz from the movie 13 Hours, one of the real-life members of the security team that fought the Battle of Benghazi. Mark Geist, I could talk to you for hours. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Godspeed to you, sir. Thanks for being with us. You too. Thank you, and God bless you and yours. Amen. Folks, we will continue with your calls, thoughts, and comments straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. Let's go to Washington, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Let's check in with Dan. Dan, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, Rich. Uh, I've been going through this turmoil individually in my local community. I wanted to write an article for somebody that performed a Heimlich on somebody, and I, I was at a volunteer at a bridge festival we have in Pennsylvania. And I started to get entangled into how exclusionary we have to be to report just the facts, the truth, you know, and uh, not get people's names or whatever. And I, I, this all translates, I think, to filters, and we have to be cognizant of, like, our greatest filter is what we tell our children so that they understand the good and the bad and not take the bad as being complete evil where they, they get on a tangent and, you know, add to the problem. Right. Well, you know, Dan, I think what's important here is what you just said. It's important for us to explain things to our children in a way that they understand. And sometimes the only thing children can understand, depending on how old they are, is what evil really is. And I think this situation that we see happening in the Middle East, uh, in, in Israel uh, primarily, is uh, a, an excellent example of pure evil. And I know for my children, I, I've been wanting to sit down with them. I probably won't see them until Saturday at the same time if I can. Uh, but to really explain, you know, what's going on in Israel, and why people are killing each other, because I'm sure they're bombarded with information and filters, like you said, from all over the place saying that Hamas are just an oppressed people. And while that may even be true, it's never okay to kill babies, women, and children, burn them, and behead them. Thanks for your call, Dan. I appreciate it. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps, 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there's plenty to discuss and plenty of excellent uh, experts to discuss it with. I want to go over the big news of the evening, uh, 8 o'clock tonight, Eastern Time. Representative Steve Scalise announced that he is no longer in the race for Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Listen to this. I never came here for a title. I've had some great titles. I'm the majority leader of the House, and I love the job I have. I've had big challenges in my life. I've been tested in ways that really put perspective on life. Now, Scalise, of course, referencing uh, being shot by a Bernie Sanders supporter and, of course, everything he's gone through as a member of the House of Representatives pulling out of the race. And uh, he has an ability to build coalitions and unite Republicans, but he struggled to gain support from members of the GOP conference. So after winning a secret ballot election last night to become speaker designate, um, there are other people with other agendas and there's seems to be a push behind Jim Jordan. So we're going to keep you up to speed on that as that continues to develop. Uh, plus, Benjamin Netanyahu was in Israel today making statements along with uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. And uh, here's what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said. Hamas has shown itself to be an enemy of civilization. The massacring of young people in an outdoor music festival, the butchering of entire families, the murder of parents in front of their children and the murder of children in front of their parents, the burning of people alive, the beheadings, the kidnappings of a young boy, not only kidnapped, molested, hurt, attacked. Of course, uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, showing a lot of emotion here because this stuff is absolutely horrific. And uh, his uh, counterpart, um, Israeli President Isaac Herzog, uh, was at a press conference as well and uh, trying to explain that they're doing things the right way. They're following the rule of law. But it seems that the, the left within the media, the left within our government, the left globally are, are coming at Israel saying that they're somehow the bad guys for responding to these types of attacks. And I want to get to the bottom of that with our guest, uh, Frank Gaffney. He's the uh, chairman and founder of the Center for Security Policy, centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And he's the author of The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Frank Gaffney, welcome back, sir. It's great to be with you, Rich. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, uh, Frank Gaffney, I want to play a clip of audio. Actually, it's, it's cut into two parts, but I want you to hear the the back and forth between um, President Herzog of Israel and, um, let's see what her name is, let's see, Becky Anderson of CNN. Listen to this. We are working, operating militarily according to rules of international law, period. 
unequivocally. But we're at war. We are at war. We're at war with at our, we are defending our homes. We're protecting our homes. That's the truth. And then when a nation protects its home, it fights. And we will fight until we'll break their backbone. Tough words from Isaac Herzog, Israeli president. Uh, and again, listen to this exchange as it continues with Becky Anderson of CNN. Becky Anderson from CNN. The collective punishment of a civilian population amounts to a war crime under international law. Uh, the U.S. has warned Israel to uphold laws of war. But I just answered, Becky, you haven't heard probably their reply to ITV. And I'm quite disappointed that that's what you're asking instantaneously. Haven't you seen? You've seen. You're all there. You were all there. You've seen. So now we're starting with the rhetoric about uh, 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 war crimes. Really? Truly? Truly? With respect, what do you mean? With respect, Truly? You see, I just said that Israel abides by international law, operates by international law. Every operation is secured and covered and reviewed legally. With all due respect, I truly believe that this comes totally out of context. That's the exchange, uh, Frank Gaffney. Do you feel that Israel is being maligned here somehow? Uh, is CNN being responsible uh, with their journalistic inquiry? Or is this, um, you know, part of a, a larger narrative to say that they're the bad guys, even though they're the victims? I think, Rich, what you're getting a taste of is what will be the main line narrative in the days to come. CNN is just ahead of the pack uh, in, you know, launching this kind of attack on Israel. Uh, I, I, I thought you might also uh, be talking about a clip that uh, I think came out of that same exchange, if I'm not mistaken, in which uh, President Herzog, who, who's not, you know, a fire breather by right, certain right. Israeli standards, uh, you know, took real umbrage at the fact that uh, the gal, I think it was uh, this one, uh, was suggesting that Israel is in the wrong because it is attacking um, what appear to be civilian targets. And he said, look, you know, if they've got a missile firing in the direction of my home from somebody's kitchen, uh, we are entitled to take it out. So this kind of um, back and forth, I think, is uh, to be expected. Uh, it it, uh, it has accompanied every single one of Israel's previous efforts to contend with uh, Hamas and uh, the threat that it poses. Um, and again, as has been pointed out by you know Secretary Blinken, I think today, and, and certainly by a host of others, including Israelis. There's a world of difference between uh, people who deliberately target civilians for the purpose of killing them, uh, especially in in you know the most uh, egregious ways, uh, not least for propaganda purposes. Uh, on the one hand, and on the other, people who are trying to protect their people against such attacks. And because the enemy that is attacking them uh, deliberately puts civilians in harm's way, and it's not just 
people's kitchens. It's it's uh, it's hospitals. It's uh, uh, you know the kind of uh, charitable organizations and other things that they will um, secret their weapons in and fire from, uh, knowing full well that uh, if there is a, a retaliatory action or a preemptive action, um, it will kill their their own people. And then they will be able to turn this into precisely the kind of uh, rhetorical uh, attack that accompanies the uh, the more physical and violent ones. And I, I think we have to expect there will be more of those things, especially if Israel does what I think it absolutely has to do, which is to go into Gaza in force, root out the uh, jihadis that have been engaged in this kind of warfare, and by the way, have brought upon their people this incredible hardship uh, for the better part mm-hmm. of 20 years now and are holding hostages and so on. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and it's a tough it's a tough situation for those that are in Palestine that feel, you know, they don't want to be a part of this, but I don't think they have a choice. Uh, this is kind of Hamas's M.O. and has been historically hide in the in the mosques, hide in the hospitals, hide in mm-hmm. schools. Uh, with that being said, right. I, we have our president, who I like to call Joe El Baboso Biden, and he's out there you know, beating the drum. We stand with Israel, and he lit up the White House and the colors of the Israeli flag, and he said a lot of things. But I feel like there are 27 murdered Americans and uh, many other hostages, and we've sent an aircraft carrier and some arms but I, I feel like that doesn't go far enough. Is that me being hawkish or maybe I'm being naive? What say you? Well, it's a very interesting question, Rich. Um, the Israelis don't want us to go further, I believe, at this point, certainly to engage our own military uh, in operations uh, with, with, I think, the exception of some special forces that might be uh, pulled in to try to find and rescue hostages, but they, they that's don't exactly want... what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm thinking okay. if, if, if well, we were my family there, I, I'd want to know yeah. that our the, our best guys are out there trying to get them. Well, and and I think that's in a very limited way uh, an exception to the general rule that uh, they do not want foreign forces uh, fighting their wars. They believe they can fight them themselves, and uh, and they understand too. And this is why I say I think there has to be um, some concern about doing otherwise, uh, especially with an administration such as this, which until this attack, we should be clear, Rich, was very hostile to the government of Israel. Right. I would argue was doing a whole lot of things to undermine it, to actually encourage Israel's enemies to engage in like, these sorts of like giving six million dollars in in uh, sanctions back to Iran. Well, that would be one example of it. I, I think uh, aligning itself and actually funding some of those uh, in Israel who were talking openly about uh, overthrowing the duly elected government of Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, a civil war, even assassinating uh, the prime minister and his cabinet. And these these were not, you know, the random extremists. These were 
leaders of the opposition that were saying that, and the Biden administration, this is in the context of uh, a very, very significant fight over judicial reform, as you know. Right. But over the, the reality is, uh, until until the attack, I think it was encouraging the Palestinians and the Iranians and the Chinese, by the way, who I believe are behind much of this, to think that uh, there was a lot of daylight between the United States and Israel, and uh, this sort of action uh, could be undertaken with impunity. Folks, we're on with Frank Gaffney. He's the uh, executive chairman and founder of the Center for Security Policy, centerforsecuritypolicy.org. He's also the author of The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. We're going to continue with him straight ahead, with along with your questions and comments, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. John, what is the status of the $6 billion that Iran was set to have access to? It's still sitting uh, in the Qatari Bank. All of it. Every, an agreement? every dime of it. Is there an agreement now to in essence, withhold it from Iran should they come asking for it? None of that money has been spent, and I have no updates uh, to provide today. All right, that's John Kirby. Uh, That was earlier today. Uh, Since then, this money has been frozen. Uh, Thank God somebody was thinking, finally. And uh, all I could say is, I mean, that's, that's part of the issue, but not the entire issue. Uh, I want to bring back our guest, Frank Gaffney. He's the founder and executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy. He's also written the book, The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Check that out at theindictmentbook.com. Uh, Frank Gaffney, you just heard John Kirby say, look, we uh, we did the, we put the money out there. We haven't released it yet. We now know that that money is frozen. And Uh, I don't know that it necessarily is those particular dollars. I mean, there's plenty of other ways that Iran was able to make money uh, by way of this administration being soft, in my opinion. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think the administration was simply under, uh, you know, irresistible pressure to stop the madness (laughs) under these circumstances. Um, but it's a good thing on, on a number of different levels. Uh, I mean, it means basically we've stuck it to the uh, the Iranians instead of uh, paying a ransom of $6 billion for five people. They, to be sure, they did get five of their own people who had been you know, right. properly prosecuted for virus criminal activity back. But if they don't get that money, that's a good thing, it seems to me. But to your point, Rich, and this is really the critical one, um, because the Biden administration has been assiduously trying to appease the mullahs, basically from the moment it took office, uh, 
including through um, some very, very problematic machinations of a uh, special envoy by the name of Rob Malley. We can talk a little bit more about He's the one that brought the Iranian spy in, right? Uh, well, I, I think possibly a number of them. There's there's one in particular by the name of uh, Aryan At, uh, Tabatabai, who is, I think, even as we speak, the chief Still of there. staff <laughs> to the assistant secretary of defense for special operations forces, which is a, an extremely sensitive position. And yes, there is reason to believe she is at the very least an agent of influence for these guys, if not something else. But this fellow, Rob Malley, lost his security clearances um, for other reasons, apparently compromising classified information with the Iranians. But he has also evidently been pushing into government positions, um, so-called Iran experts, who seem to be expert because they're working for the Iranian government. (laughs) But anyway, my point is this, that the Biden administration has been determined to try to do anything it can to get some kind of new nuclear deal with the Iranians. And in the course of it, it has essentially stopped enforcing uh, sanctions on the export of Iranian oil. And the Chinese Communist Party has buying, uh, been buying up just about all of it to the tune of something between 32 and $40 billion just in this year alone. And, you know, these guys are past masters at applying whatever money they have at being fungible, after all, uh, even if it's given in the spirit of uh, trying to help the humanitarian situation of the Iranian people, as Tony Blinken endlessly talks about. They, mm-hmm. They're simply using it to offset funding that they're going to go spend on terrorism or on their nuclear weapons programs or their ballistic missile programs. And yes, they do say endlessly they want to bring death to Israel. Frank Gaffney. Programs, but they I, I also want to bring it to us. Right. And, and you know, I, I just have to agree with you. I can't imagine uh, any administration in the United States being friendly to a country that starts their parliamentary sessions with these chants of death to America, death to Israel. Uh, but here we are. And uh, thankfully, I think for political purposes, they're, they don't want to be the ones to say, we gave them $6 billion uh, back in, in sanctions. And then they launched this massive offensive against uh, Israel. But Frank Gaffney, I want to thank you. The music means they're kicking both of us out of here. Uh, but you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thanks for being with us. Terrific to be with you. Thank you. Bye. You bet. Folks, check them out at the thecenterforsecuritypolicy.org and stick around. We're going to discuss what's going on with the attack on your kids straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. And uh, the battle over the culture continues. You've got people on Dr. Phil and other places. A while back, there was a bunch of people. He had a panel on Dr. Phil when that was still a show where they were discussing the issue of gender identity, gender roles and whatnot. And I want you to listen to this, uh, just a bit of this exchange between uh, a 
an activist for the LGBTQ movement and uh, a gentleman who was just trying to argue against her by using facts. Listen to this. Men do not menstruate. Only women menstruate. Now, you can call yourself whatever you don't want. don't menstruate, but trans men do menstruate. No, Same they as non-binary people. <clears throat> Only women. Menstruating is not exclusive yes, to cis is. women. No, it's not. Yes, it is. So explain you're, to me as to why my body menstruated are, at some point. If your chromosomes then. are XX and you're young, you menstruate. If you're XY, you don't. Correct, but what about trans men and non-binary? We're not excluding men. a whole group of they're, people They're women dressed as men. Well, what's a man to you? You define a man for me. You have chromosomes that are X and Y. That's what a man is. So why are we just looking at the, 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 the science of this as an the example? Science. When we've learned sex and gender identity are two very, they're completely different things. They're not completely different They are things. completely different. They're completely different words. And sex is what you're born with, the sexual reproductive organs you have. Gender is what you identify with. They're completely different Well, I don't accept things. that distinction. You have to argue for it. You're just giving a conclusion. You're, you're just making it up. Okay, of course, uh, that, that's a fifth grade teacher, uh, Eli Ehrlich, uh, arguing on Dr. Phil against uh, Dr. Yalda Safai, uh, whether or not men can menstruate and uh, it's it's just fascinating to me that that this is even a topic of discussion, um, but it is, and this this continues to go on, and it's happening all over the place. Um, I um, recently had a conversation with the mom of a six year old, and she was saying, you know, I got an, a notice or I heard from one of the moms at school that they're going to be teaching uh, about sexuality, and and we have the right to opt out of that part of the class. And I'm thinking, what do you really think they're going to do with your kid? Put them in the kit in the cafeteria or the library or something like that. Uh, I don't believe for a second that they're not going to try and teach your kids, uh, even if it's on the way in and on the way out. Like, why don't you want to learn about why men can be women or women can be men, little Susie? <laughs> I mean, they're going to mess them up either way, whether they opt in or opt out, in my opinion, uh, because I believe they are hell-bent on this. And that's why I want to have a discussion with Sherry Few. She's the founder and president of the United States Parents Involved in Education Group, USPIE, and their website, USPIE.org. Sherry Few, welcome back. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. What a great uh, topic of discussion because it's so prevalent in our culture today. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, there's uh, lamentably that this seems to be um, just one of many things that they're introducing into school curriculums uh, all over the place. And uh, groups like yours and others that are out there are, are at the forefront of these fights. Uh, and I, I tend to sometimes feel discouraged and I feel like, oh, my gosh, the left is winning. The radicals are taking over. And then I hear a, a victory here and there or I see more and more parents stepping up or interacting with uh videos like these and others online. And I think, oh, you know what? More and more parents who could care less about politics but care a ton about their kids are now more involved. And that's exciting for me, and it gives me some encouragement. Uh, but give us a, an understanding of what you see going on um, on the front lines. Well, you're right. There, it, it is discouraging on one hand and then encouraging to see, you know, the parents that are waking up, getting involved, you know, standing up for their children, their own parental rights. And, you know, and they're doing so in the face of huge criticism. I mean, they're being called, uh, even labeled uh, hate groups, domestic terrorists. So these parents are bold and courageous. And, and I think it does cross political lines because it's not just the 
white suburban moms, which is what they called us during the Common Core battles. But we're seeing Hispanic parents and black parents and, you know, biracial parents standing up and saying, no, you're not going to teach my children this. So, you know, I've been in the um, education policy wars, if you will call it that, for about 20 years. And when I first got involved, the big focus was switching to this workforce development model of education, which ushered in Common Core, and it was all about outcome-based education, and, and it's really just a case of the government attempting to control the economy. So that was of grave concern. You know, I didn't like the fact that they were trying to pigeonhole my child into a particular career field. That's something I felt should be left up to our family and, and our, our, you know, faith community. And they're just there to get a, a foundation in education. So then it, it jumped from that into these uh, social justice warriors. You know, they're, they're trying to, and that spun out of Common Core. Every standard in Common Core, which every state in the nation outside of Florida has the Common Core standards. So every, every grade level has a standard that's related to teaching children to be active in, in the social justice wars. So from kindergarten on up, they've been training them to be that way. And then you've got the 1619 project that, that came in from the New York Times and now is accepted as uh, history in, in government schools. You know, it teaches systemic racism. There's an entire war on history. And then, of course, we know about the critical Marxist theories, and it's not just uh, critical race theory. There's something called culturally relevant pedagogy that includes several critical Marxist theories, critical queer theory, critical feminist theory. Um, it's anti-Christian. And then, of course, what, what you've mentioned, which I think is the most horrific, is the sexualization of children and this big push for this transgender lifestyle and grooming young children into this lifestyle and quite often behind the backs of parents. And so it's, it's a deep, dark issue that I've studied for a long time. I was involved with um, promoting abstinence education, you know, as far back as 20 years ago. And we studied how, you know, SECUS and other organizations like Planned Parenthood, you know, were, were originally founded um, about population control. And now we have the UN and the World Health Organization pushing curriculum uh, all over the world, and, and in Europe, they've been very effective in um, training and promoting curriculum that is really insidious and can even be suggestive of pedophilia. So I hate to paint such a horrible picture, but that's exactly where we are in government schools. A lot of parents think, not in my school, you know, that's happening in California or somewhere else where I don't live, but not in my child's school. But I can tell you, I live in South Carolina one of the very red states in the country, and it's happening. I've researched over 12 school districts in our state, and it's happening everywhere. So it is a sad picture, but then again, you pointed to the encouraging point that parents are stepping up and getting involved at great risk to themselves and their families and even their careers at times. Um, and then, you know, we're starting to see some states that are looking at stepping back from the federal government and not taking their money because a lot of the nefarious pedagogies originate from the federal government incentivized with federal dollars. Sherry Few, you mentioned something that I, uh, I find of particular interest. 
uh, because I feel like it, it's a flash in the pan and then it goes away. And you said that there's a lot of these um, Marxist, leftist, uh, very radical, woke, if you will, um, teachings that are going on. And one of the ones you said is coming in uh, by way of Europe is the normalization or softening of the blow of pedophilia. And I'd first heard about this a couple of summers ago. Um, I remember, I think it was August of maybe 2020 or 2021. And there was this professor who was uh, identified as transgender or non-binary, a biological female uh, living their life as a male, and mentioned something about what they called a MAP, a minor attracted person. I almost fell off my chair when I heard this term, mm. and I thought, why on earth would we call a pedophile a minor attracted person? And why do we try to normalize it and give it such a um, positive connotation? And, the, you know, truth was that this person was doing exactly that. And since that time, I've heard of some social commentators uh, bring up the idea that the reason that we are allowing so many children to decide what they want to do with their bodies at an early age and exclude parents from any of their actual right over these children is because the real push is to make the correlation between saying, look, if a child knows that when they're four years old that they're trans, uh, then obviously a, a child knows at four years old if they want to engage uh, sexually or otherwise with somebody who's a different age, uh, a minor attracted person and try to introduce the idea or the normalization of pedophilia or minor attracted persons to younger children. I don't know that that's happening in the United States, but it's been mentioned to me, and I wanted to know what your thought on was that, and is any of this true? Yes, unfortunately, it is true. And, you know, when I talk to people about this, it it, it sounds too unreal. I mean, who sounds can believe fake. such a thing? You're it, right. It who, does. Who would believe it? Does. it? Who would believe it? But the facts are there in black and white. Um, the United Nations and the United Nations World Health Organization, along with the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and right. Cultural Organization, um, they have all put out uh, reports, and it's a part of their Sustainable Development Goals, the, the Goals 2030. And people like Bill Gates are involved. I mean, Bill Gates is always behind the the really nefarious things happening in, you know, in the, in the world. Um, he's put a lot of money into Rutgers, um, and Rutgers is publishing curriculum for, I think, over 24 countries in the world. Um, and some of the countries in Europe have adopted these curricula, and there's horrific examples of these curricula um, on, a, on a website called StopWorldControl.com. So if they go to stopworldcontrol.com slash children, there is this horrific evidence report. And I call it a, they call it an evidence report because it's all well documented. And it lays out how these organizations, uh, largely funded by Bill Gates, uh, working with this Rutgers um, organization, are developing these curricula. And Rutgers has strong ties to the push for pedophilia for decades. Um, they're, they're founders, and they've been involved. They've been on boards of these organizations in places like Finland. And, and, and they've actually, in some of these countries, have, through their government, tried to promote pedophilia and created handbooks to um, show how to get away with pedophilia. So it's, it's, a, it's a horrific thought. Um, most people cringe and can't even believe it's true, like we said. 
but it is an absolute fact. And so um, this report, this evidence report, shows that in the end that the instructing of all public schools worldwide to sexualize children is happening. They're pushing uh, drag queens into schools. This is happening all over the world, not just in America. They're pushing the transgender confusion uh, in every nation, and they're even using the media to call for the acceptance of pedophilia, and they show several examples of headlines where they're softening the idea, like the pedophile is not the problem. They're just misunderstood. And even right. judges are calling for legalization of sex with minors. So it, it's, it's deep and dark, and we have to understand that that's what it is. I mean, it's pure evil, and we have to fight it. We absolutely have to stop it in our government-funded schools. So Dr. Alfred Kinsey and Daniel Carlton, Gadgetsack, and the rest of those crazies, that believed in um, child sex. They may be dead, but their uh, movement lives on. Folks, we're on with Sherry Few from USPIE, and we're going to continue with her straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. For Valdez, that's Valdez with an S. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Sherry Few. She's the founder and president of United States Parents Involved in Education, USPIE, USPI.org is their website. And Sherry Few is in a documentary uh, that I want to recommend to you because people need to know everything about this film, Truth and Lies in American Education. Listen to a clip of the trailer. Public school is the instituted agency of socialism throughout every community. The U.S. government has no authority to have any role in education. We're going to lose our very republic if we don't stop this indoctrination of children in government schools. What happened to us in China can't happen here. Have one kind of education and then call it equity. It's about outcomes. It's about trying to force us all to be equal. I think we're going to have a race civil war in our hands. We are exposing kids to pornography as early as kindergarten. Parents just don't know. No, not anymore. Not anymore. Parents need to wake up. They don't have the interests of your child at heart. Sounds fantastic, and that's just a few seconds of it. Sherry Few, tell us about the film. Well, we're very excited about the film. It's a 60-minute documentary that has a storyline. It's not a dry, boring, you know, technical kind of documentary. The storyline follows my daughter-in-law, and it's a true story. And she came to work for me um, soon after she married my son. And in order to do so with the nonprofit I direct, I required her to do some reading. So the required reading uh, included books like Crimes of the Educators, and she read several things uh, that would inform her so that she would have the proper mindset to work in our organization. So the storyline shows how she went from being what she calls a poster child for liberals um, into understanding the truth. 
the truth about how she had been lied to in government schools, and she became a strong advocate to teach other young parents about how important it was for them to make um, a different choice for their children's education. And she learned for herself the, the need to homeschool her own children. So the, the storyline goes along with the books she read. She interviews the authors of the books. And we just cover all of the topics that I mentioned earlier, um, the workforce development, the sexualization of children, the critical Marxist theories. And we have experts who um, have written books that are well-documented on all these topics. So it's a wonderful expose, but a true story, very mm-hmm. heartfelt. And when I watch it, still I cry. Brings Let me tears ask you. My- uh, Sherry Few, uh, just for the sake of time, how do how does a parent that's listening right now, how do they watch the film? They go to the film's website, and it's Truth and Lies Film, and that's spelled out, Truth, A-N-D-L-I-E-S, film.us. So they right. can stream it there, they can rent it, or they can purchase a DVD. And I'd like to add... Well, before you add anything, we're going to take a quick pause and come back with your final thoughts and everything that you want to add. Folks, we're on with Sherry Few coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. And I just want to remind you that we've got Open Phone America coming up in just a few short minutes. So make sure you're getting your calls in for that. If you're a first-time caller, you get to the front of the line. If you disagree with me, you get even further ahead online. We'll get to you right away if you disagree with anything you've heard. And, of course, we're on with Sherry Few, founder and president of the United States Parents Involved in Education Group, USPIE, their website, USPIE.org. Sherry Few, how do you see things unfolding in the future? Do we continue with this hypersexualization of children in uh, American classrooms? Does the federal government continue to wield their heavy hand? Uh, yes, no, maybe so. What say you? Well, I, I'm glad that you're giving me an opportunity to talk about the future and, and solutions because we painted a, a, a bleak picture. But our organization is focused on getting the federal government out And so our goal is to end the U.S. Department of Education and end all federal education mandates. And while that's a tall order, especially with the leadership we have in D.C. right now, we recently published a blueprint to show states how they can wean themselves off the federal dole. Where do people find that blueprint? Yes, at USPIE, that's USPIE.org. I hope that they'll go and check it out. It's a new publication. And I just have to say that every person... Well, thank you, Sherry Few. I appreciate it. And you are wonderful. Welcome here anytime. Folks, I'm Rich Valdez. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, 
Here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Thursday night edition of the program. Our phone number, if you want to join us on Open Phone America, where you get to weigh in, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And again, the big news of the evening is that Steve Scalise, excuse me, sometimes I know how to speak, who was... um, nominated yesterday to be the candidate for Speaker of the House, uh, uh, Speaker of the House designee, has withdrawn his name from consideration in that race after uh, yet another meeting, uh, fourth or fifth day uh, of meetings, with the rest of the Republican conference. Yesterday, we had an update from Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne, who was expressing her frustrations over this process, saying, you know, everybody was in agreement and then we moved on. And then all of a sudden now there were some holdouts for many different reasons. Some saying they were going to continue to support McCarthy. Others saying they were not going to support Scalise and others saying they wanted to support Jim Jordan, irrespective of the fact that he was out and was supporting Scalise. So as that continues to take shape, we'll bring you updates on that. But we have a clip from Representative Scalise, who made some comments today at around 8 p.m. this evening. I want you to listen to uh, Congressman Steve Scalise. I just share with my colleagues that I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the Speaker-designee. If you look at over the last few weeks, if you look at where our conference is, there's still work to be done. Uh, Our conference still has to come together and is not there. There are still some people that have their own agendas. And I was very clear, we have to have everybody put their agendas on the side and focus on what this country needs. This country is counting on us to come back together. This House of Representatives needs a speaker and we need to open up the House again. But clearly, not everybody is there. Uh, that's uh, Steve Scalise on dropping out of the race because he feels too many people are involved in too many self-serving interests. And uh, I don't know if this is going to put the ball back into Jim Jordan's uh, court, but I suspect that it likely will. And earlier I shared a story in the first hour, and I'll repeat it briefly, uh, but I'm having some work done in my bathroom. And uh, my good buddy who's doing the work for me, he he mentioned to, to me, he says, you know, um, you, 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 I know you like Trump, but he says everything Trump uh, touches doesn't turn to gold. It, it goes the other way. And he says, you know, as soon as he came out and said that he was endorsing Jim Jordan, boom, everybody went with Scalise. And he said, you know, I don't know when you're going to learn your lesson. I said, I wouldn't count anybody out yet. Uh, Scalise seems to be uh, the one that's secured the most votes so far. But this could go on, as we saw with McCarthy, and things can change. And I think now people are even more, uh, I'm going to use the word volatile, in their temperament uh, with respect to what they're going to put up with and what they're not. So while I would love for us to have a speaker and I'd love for it to be Jim Jordan and I'd love for it to be last week, um, this is part of the process. And of course, I'm not thrilled about the timing and I hate that it gives the Democrats and the media fodder to say, oh, the Republicans are in chaos. It's a shambles. They can't figure things out. The only thing they're good at is infighting. They can't seem to get uh, onto the same page amongst themselves. How can they do any governing? And I know that there are people in the middle that are going to hear that and say, you know what, that that kind of makes sense. You're right. I'm probably just going to stick with the Democrats as bad as they are. 
uh, as my mother would say, malo que sean. At least we know these people, right? As bad as they are, we know who they are. It kind of reminds me of the um, old refrain, uh, better the devil that you know than the devil that you don't. Uh, I think in this case, everybody knows everybody. Uh, people know the Republicans. They know the Democrats. And if there's one thing I think we can take away that's positive from this is that that's, that is the Republican Party, right? It's always been a big tent party. There's always been conservatives. There's always been moderates and others. And they get along. And it doesn't mean they're always going to agree. I think what I like most is that there is debate, that there is uh, a challenge. There is a conversation. Not everybody's on the same page all the time. And I think that's a good thing. I really do, especially in government. Uh, I think the timing of it is unfortunate. And uh, it seems to be whenever we do this, it's because of the unfortunate timing, because that's when they're able to negotiate the most, when there's pressure. And that was something that uh, our guest last week, uh, Congressman Bob Good, brought up. And he said, you need pressure when you have pressure facing a government shutdown or any other kind of pressure where some action has to be taken. That's when you're able to have the most leverage and, you know, negotiate the best deals. So uh, we're going to see how this thing plays out. Uh, I suspect that Jordan will prevail. Uh, that's my uh, thinking on this. And we'll uh, keep you up to speed on that as we go forward. Of course, we're going to get to your calls momentarily. 833-4-Valdez. We also had some discussion earlier tonight on the continuing murderous war by Hamas uh, versus Israel. And um, there was uh, some updates on that. We'll get to those uh, again, plus your thoughts on that, plus a bunch of other stories that I want to get to. But I want to get to your calls. I know there's a few people that are calling in right now. And um, let's go to Chris, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Chris, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hello, Rich. Rich, I just want to bring out the hypocrisy, it seems, when we speak about the atrocities uh, that go on, especially with the children in Israel. All right, Chris, speak right into the phone. It's very difficult. You sound fuzzy and try to boost your volume a little bit so everybody can hear you. You said you want to talk about the hypocrisy of what and by whom? Um, Well, the way the way you speak about the um, you want to talk about my hypocrisy about what? No, 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 not your, I mean, just in general, but that you're surprised uh, about the atrocities that occur when every day here in the United States, we murder around 4,400 babies, you know, in the room, they're torn apart. And yet we don't see Are you talking about abortion? Yes. Yeah. uh, Now, listen, I I, I totally get that. Uh, I just, I, I definitely don't condone that. But I will say, I think there is a grand difference between uh, people um, engaging in abortion and whatever, you know, following um, the law of the land, kind of like what Jesus said, render unto Jesus, uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And while I don't appreciate that, the Supreme Court, you know, said it was okay, and now they say it's not okay, and that's fantastic. I think that's a great victory for the pro-life movement. But I think that's very different than people because they don't like somebody or they're arguing over real estate or over their right to exist in general. And and say, you know, we're, we're going to burn a baby alive. We're going to behead a baby. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying I think it's a stark difference that, that you know, they're using rockets and they're going in there. They're grabbing women on the street and raping them. Uh, but you're right. A life is a life. God created that life, and we have no right to end that life. And, and I'm with you on that. Uh, but I, I am. I am genuinely shocked at, at the, the gore. And you go through social media and you see some of these videos and you see some of this, this um, you know, footage that's out there of, of – these charred infants, and it's stomach-turning, Chris. Have you seen the videos of where 
they rip apart a child in the womb. You know? You're right. And you know what? I've actually seen, a uh, not a video, but I've seen photos of a late-term abortion, uh, which I, I learned uh, from a, an activist that showed me these videos, how they do it. And between the vacuuming and forceps and they forcibly remove this child and they get to like their, their, uh, the back of their neck, like where the spine meets the brainstem and they put scissors in there and then they open the scissors to sever, uh, this, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're right. It's an absolutely gruesome, um, gruesome procedure. Uh, but it, it's, it's, um, it, it's still to me, just not the same as burning a, a six month old baby. Um, but I agree with you just as horrific and a life is a life. And I think you bring up a good point. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Chris. I appreciate your call. Big shout out to WGKA in Atlanta, Georgia. And yeah, I definitely, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that it's okay to kill babies in, in any regard. Uh, but uh, it is shocking when you see the, the videos that I've seen and people send me stuff because they're hoping I'll talk about it on the air or whatever. And I got to tell you, I don't do well with that stuff. Very, very, very gruesome stuff. And perhaps we maybe need to see more of the other gruesome stuff that, that he was talking about to remember how gruesome of a process that is as well. I want to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. We're talking about everything you want to talk about, whether it's uh, sex changes, the transgender movement, uh, minor attracted persons that we talked about with Sherry Few, and every other topic uh, we talked about, including the speaker's race, and everything on your mind, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And the um, the slaughter continues. Netanyahu today took a very strong stance on his position on what he believes is happening. Um, well, not what he believes, what is going to happen in Israel, in particular in Gaza. Listen to Prime Minister Netanyahu at a press conference today with Secretary Tony Blinken. Hamas has shown itself to be an enemy of civilization. The massacring of Young people in an outdoor music festival, the butchering of entire families, the murder of parents in front of their children and the murder of children in front of their parents, the burning of people alive, the beheadings, the kidnappings of a young boy, not only kidnapped, molested, hurt, attacked, and the sickening display of celebrating these horrors, the celebration and glorification of evil. 
the celebration and glorification of evil. I got to tell you, I, I, this is gruesome stuff. Uh, I'm not really an old man. I'm only 45. But I can tell you in whatever life I've lived, I haven't seen that. Again, our caller, I think his name was Mark from Georgia, brought up a great point about the, the brutality of abortion. And, uh, and kudos to him for doing that because uh, it was a really good point of reference and juxtaposition. And I, I just personally have never seen a war that was fought like this. And it, it, it is just bizarre, now, honestly. Perhaps I, I sound naive, uh, but I, I, I'm, just, I'm so disgusted by this, and I want to get your reactions. Let's go to Derek in Jamestown, New York, WJTN. Derek, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, what's up, America? How you doing, my <laughs> What's up, Derek? How are you? Hey, man, I'm good, man. It's too scary, you dig? But um, the atrocity against babies and children has been going on for uh, hundreds of years. Remember in Nam, they, uh, you know, took the children and strapped bombs to them and sent them over. Oh, little kid and to American soldiers and blew them up. And so Israel and Palestine are family. You know, uh, Ishmael came out of Palestine. Isaac, that's uh, Israel, which is Jacob. Yeah, so Ishmael is the firstborn of Abraham, and Isaac was... Uh, born out of, uh, what can I say, uh, there was jealousy between their parents, and Sarah was barren. She couldn't produce no children. Until so she, she did. Had, yeah, yeah, she did, but uh, Ishmael, she didn't produce Ishmael, and it was Hagar that right. produced Ishmael. And so, once again, give God things to God, but and Caesar's things to Caesar, people always says uh, Caesar's things to Caesar, and they leave it right there. But the rest of that statement is Caesar's things to Caesar and God's things to God. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the point is these images go out all around the world, and you are a blessing to the media, uh, you. Rich, because you're bringing a fresh element, uh, no bias, no hate. And you don't really take sides. You on a principle of what is right. Yeah, and I would just add the caveat: I am biased here. I am biased for children. I'm a dad. I've had two little girls. They're a little bigger now, but uh, I'm incredibly biased towards children. I've always felt like people who do anything against kids who are, you know, I'm, I don't know if you're a parent or not, but becoming a dad was life changing for me. You know, you see life through the prism of whatever, you know, that's a guy, I'll fight that guy, whatever. But when you have kids, you change and, and you're like, you know, I can't do that. I have to protect these little people that are so innocent and cute and nice. And and to, to think that people are doing bad things, uh, horrific things to little kids is, is really unconscionable, Derek. And that's the poison, because when these images go around all around the world and today is so prolific. A war in the industrial complex with that war machine, Lieb Lieberman brothers, they the ones that had the cotton when the slaves was, slavery was in America, and they reaped all that money off of cotton. Uh, Lieberman, I guess he was a salesman or something, 
and they got rich and boom, financed the war. They financed that Japan and financed the uh, Civil War. And the crazy thing about it, with the Civil War, here it is, brothers fighting each other, and here comes Lieberman brothers, and they backed both sides of the Civil War. You're, you're right in so much as I, I can tell you that the war machine is real. The war machine is alive and well. The military-industrial complex is a thing. I think Eisenhower gave us a, an amazing um, uh, admonition uh, in his farewell address. And it's not something that I, I support, but it's something that I recognize as real. It's just as recognizing um, walking through a certain neighborhood at a certain time in New York City. You don't have to support crime to know that it's there and it'll find you if you're there at three in the morning in the wrong part of town. And 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 I think that's exactly what the military industrial complex is. You've got people that don't care who lives, who dies, as long as they get to build the bombs, the weapons, the planes, the tanks, you name it. And they stay in business because they have big contracts with governments that are seemingly uh, able to tax their people uh, infinitum at infinitum so that they can continue this military industrial complex. And, and it's oftentimes why I give so much credit to Donald Trump, because he was able to satisfy the war machine by buying, you know, increasing the military budget by $700 billion and, and restoring the military to its, its you know, um, strength or level of strength that it needed to be, or at least getting close to it and upgrading equipment and whatnot. But using the Reagan mantra of peace through strength and, you know, um, uh, walking quietly while holding a big stick, knowing that we've had this and let's pray to God, we don't have to use it. And I think that is the way to go. While there are others like you're suggesting that, uh, not only want to build the bombs and planes and tanks, but they want to use them so they can sell even more of them. And, and of course that's something I take exception to. We should only go to war unless we have to. And uh, shame on anybody who's starting wars just to make some money. Derek, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to Jamestown, New York, WJTN. Folks, the rest of your calls and more coming up straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. It's America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. Stay right here. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, big shout out to the great one, Mark Levin. Actually, this morning I got a text from Mark Levin um, with uh, some of his thoughts that he also put on Twitter a little bit later in the day. And um, it was regarding Egypt and how Egypt is keeping their borders closed, preventing Palestinians from entering Egypt because they're trying to get out of there because 6,000 bombs have been dropped on Gaza and the Israeli defense forces are preparing for 
I don't know, I'm going to use the word to flatten Gaza or to destroy it, to uh, incinerate it. And uh, scary proposition. There's also some um, propaganda out there that the Egyptians knew about this ahead of time and had warned the Israelis but didn't warn the United States. I think that sounds fake and phony and fraud to me. Um, the Egyptians, I don't know them. I don't know them well, uh, but I can say uh, I won't trust them as far as I can throw them. Uh, I want you to listen to Secretary Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of um, Defense, at a press conference earlier today. In terms of uh, early warning or our, or our uh, uh, indic indications and warning that we may have had to uh, that this was going to occur, of course, will if we if we had those indications, we would share them with our with uh, with Israel. Uh, but uh, to my knowledge, we did not uh, see that. So that's Secretary Austin, and uh, again, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I guess I could. I could imagine why the U.S. would get this information, uh, in particular this administration specifically, and um, not say anything because they're on the record, right? Joe Biden has not been very friendly towards Israel. Uh, he hasn't been friendly towards Netanyahu. He's he's supported those that oppose Netanyahu back when he was vice president and even now as president. So it would make sense to me how they would try to undercut them that way. Uh, but the the fact that the neighboring countries are, you know, not um, waving flags around and banners saying, welcome, come one, come all, come into our country, where, you know, it, it, it's telling. It's telling of, of why. Why would they do that? Are they afraid of Israel's response that Israel might say, oh, uh, you're, Egypt, you're going to let the uh, Palestinians get out of Gaza and into Egypt. Well, then we're going to be mad at you. I don't think that's the case. They're doing this because they realize that this is a problem. And they're the ones that are shutting their borders, something we should do in the United States, quite frankly. Uh, Egypt is it has its own problems. And um, one of the problems that they're facing now, not really them, but some of their accused foreign agents, one of which is the wife of Senator Bob Menendez. She's being accused of being a foreign agent for Egypt. Uh, photos show her meeting with Egyptian officials. And I got to say, I don't know if that's real or not. Um, it seems to me that they're using the fact that Gold Bar Bob uh, got caught with his pants down because I think they're the ones that blew the whistle on him. You know, And by them, I mean the deep state, his fellow Democrats that disagree with his um, position against Iran. And all I could say is the reason I say that is because back years ago when, um, and Menendez has been solid on this. I don't like him personally. I don't really know him like that. I've met him once or twice. Um, he was, I can't say he was a nice enough guy. He really wasn't. He gave me the sense that he didn't like me. So, uh, I, I take that for what it's worth. But what I can say is that he has always been on the right side of of the issue when it comes to supporting Iran. Now, President Barack Obama was very, very supportive of Iran. Very. And again, I could never figure that out. I can't imagine how you can be the president of the United States, right? The CEO of the federal government. How is it that you could be cordial or even deal with a country that opens their sessions of parliament with chants of death to America, death to Israel, calling us the big Satan and the little Satan. Uh, let me tell you, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine a job where 
you know, I have to get along with others. And then they're like, death to Rich Valdez. Uh, oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> how do you how do you have that conversation? I don't think you do. And listen, I take all sorts of criticism online and on the radio, uh, but that's very different than people calling to annihilate your existence. And not just you as a person, but, you know, you as an entire people group, an entire nation. Uh, so I don't see how that happens. But uh, Senator Bob Menendez's wife has been accused of being a foreign agent. And, and, and it's just fascinating to me. But my point was, I believe that when we first saw Menendez get indictment, and I'm not saying he didn't do the things he did, he very well may have done what he's alleged to have done. I feel that they only came at him when there was a Democrat in office and always around a time when they were negotiating something. So last time it was the JCPOA, the uh, infamous Iran deal, uh, where Obama sent pallets of cash on an airplane. And this time it is the, um, the, the current situation, $6 billion in sanctions being returned that seems to have blown up in the face of the Biden administration. And again, that's a tough one for them to dig themselves out of. It doesn't matter you know, how skilled of a politician you are or aren't. If I'm running against Biden, no matter who I am, I'm just going to be like, that guy who wants to be your president? That guy literally sent $6 billion back to Iran. And they went around and turned uh, that that flipped that money over to Hamas and just waged one of the most gruesome wars uh, I've seen in my lifetime. And I don't think um, even Biden wants those odds. Right. He doesn't want to have to deal with that. I wouldn't want to deal with that either. So to that, I say, I think they um, they, they they're coming after Menendez a little bit harder because he's always been against Iran, realizing that these people are are despots and it's not a good look. So, I, I, again, doesn't mean he didn't do what he did. It just means they decided not to turn a blind eye and not give him the Hunter Biden treatment, but give him the gold bar Bob treatment so that he could, um, you know, be slowed down and not be as vocal in his criticism of Iran. And that's the part I just never understood why Biden, Obama, whomever it is that's out there really supports Iran the way they do. I don't see the benefit in it at all. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. I know you guys have a lot to talk about uh, tonight. Let's uh, let's go to Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Todd, go right ahead. Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, great show. Uh, really, really enjoyed your guest. And um I think uh, Obama supports uh, – I think he's supporting Iran because they hate America as much as he does. And, uh, you know, you're right. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're right to uh, be skeptical about Egypt. Uh, that's a big Muslim brotherhood uh, nest of vipers. And um, let's not forget that the Muslim brotherhood met with Obama in the White House 36 times while he was in office. Right. And I just want to be clear for anybody who's listening who doesn't know the Muslim Brotherhood, um, they're not uh, a religious organization, right? This is a terrorist organization, the Muslim Brotherhood. They're like Hamas. They're like Hezbollah. These are not, um, you know, guys that are out there preaching about Islam. This is a legitimate terrorist group and uh, tries to claim legitimacy by taking over governments where where they can have influence. And and this is exactly what we see in, in Palestine with the Hamas folks, you know, taking over the Palestinian authority and in effect really running the show. Yes. And, and Morrissey was uh, thrown out of office and he was actually a Muslim Brotherhood uh, flunky. 
And, he, you know, this, this goes back to the Arab Spring, which goes back to the Obama administration. And, oh, yeah. and you mentioned the $150 billion pallets of cash that was airdropped on uh, Iran. That's mm-hmm. what's funded the drones and funded the missiles and everything. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, Biden, I mean, you know, how can he be trusted? Um, I, I think the $6 billion should be unfrozen and it should be sent directly to Israel. So let's see if he really supports Iran. You know, let's let's see if he'll do that. But um, but you know, and and the atrocities against these kids, beheading them, burning them, you know, this um, goes back to the Battle of the Trench in 627 A.D. when the Prophet Muhammad, the um, mass murderer who founded the religion of peace, he did the exact same things to to the Jewish tribe in, in Arabia, the uh, Quraysh. And um, so, you know, it's it's repeating the same brutality that's gone on for the last 14 centuries. You know, meanwhile, Christians are being massacred in Nigeria by Boko Haram, another uh, Muslim offshoot. So um, it's really, really tragic uh, what's going on. But it's, you know, it's all been prophesied, too. But, um, you know, I was calling about the lady uh, with the education. I I really think... uh, Abolishing the Department of Miseducation would be a great platform for President Trump, and it's um, really revolting what they're doing to these kids with these this, uh, this gender brainwashing. Um, you know, your, your brain yeah. doesn't even just develop in your twenties, and they're getting them sex hormones. No, you're right. The brain develops at twenty three, I think, is the latest number uh, where, like, you've reached full maturity on brain development, and. It's um, and you mentioned a few things. I want to unpack them as best I can. But the, the, you're right. Um, it should never happen. It should not happen. It, you know, there, there should we should do something. At least 18. If you're old enough to go to war, buy a gun um, and do certain things at 18, then let's do that. It's interesting. You can't even rent a car at 18, though. You have to be uh, 25 in most states to rent a car. Uh, you can drive one. You just can't rent one. And I just think you know, if you can't do those things. Uh, why are we letting little kids do all these other things like, you know, drag queen story or mom, take me to the drag queen story hour. I mean, the things that are going on are absolutely crazy. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned was, again, I'm not I'm not an expert on the history of Islam versus um, Islamists within the faith uh, that have, you know, prostituted the message of their prophet to um, bring about harm and um, <clears throat> violence to people. Um, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that think it's one and the same. I'm not one of those people. I think there, I've, I've known plenty of Muslims who are f- absolutely fine people. And, and I would never equate what Hamas is doing to all Muslims. I think that would be unfair. Uh, but I would definitely equate what Hamas is doing to uh, scumbag terrorists because that I think they are. Todd, thank you for your call. Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA in the building. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. 
responsibility is to the stability and the security of the region. That means being able to support, uh, not support, yes, Israel in its defensive capacities, right, in its ability in, in, in that context. But it also means that the United States has a responsibility to ensure accountability to human rights, to prevent the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, and to ensure that horrors do not happen in the names of victims who do not want their tragedy used to justify further violence and injustice. That, of course, is my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, AOC, all-out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she says that the United States has a responsibility to prevent the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Uh, I, I would agree. I think we have a responsibility to prevent ethnic cleansing wherever it happens. This is why we're constantly, uh, at least in theory and in rhetoric, um, telling China that they're guilty of human rights abuses for doing this with the Uyghur Muslims and and any other situation where we've seen this type of thing. Uh, the problem, and I'm not saying it is or isn't happening because I've never been to, to Palestine, never been to Gaza, never been to Israel. Uh, but I do realize that there is conflict there. I do not think for a second that the Israelis are trying to ethnically cleanse Palestinians. I think that there's been conflict and it's gotten ugly and it's it's been lethal. Uh, I think right now that rhetoric may start to stick in the media with the response that they're going to get um, as a result of this murderous war that they've waged on Israel. And I don't care if you're using, uh, you know, your, the, the, the fan that's in your kitchen window with an air balloon and uh, a couple of bottle rockets from last 4th of July as the way you're going to launch your attack. I think you're still going to be squashed by by the IDF, the Israeli uh, Defense Forces. And shame on you for starting a fight you couldn't finish. Uh, this is uh, ultimately going to cost a lot of people their lives. But if you're letting the bad guys hang out, and again, I realize they're the bad guys and they have weapons and they, they have the control and they have the underground tunnels and they have uh, places they can hide where there's a lot of civilians. But ultimately, you have just awakened the, the, the beast by assassinating children, by burning them alive. I mean, their parents. And when you see these charred images, you could see the faces on these people that they died in pain. They died in fear. They died in agony. This isn't something I think any government would take laying down. Anyway, um, let me see. Let's quickly go to a, a call. We have a minute to go. Joe, Salem, Arkansas, KSAR. Go right ahead. Yeah, Rich. Uh, I was glad to hear that fellow talk about uh, Hagar and her son uh, with Abraham Ishmael and yes. then Sarah's son Isaac. Well, this, this whole thing started back there. Yes. When uh, Ishmael and Hagar was uh, put out of uh, the land because Sarah got jealous again after she became fertile and had Isaac. Well, the blessings went from Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son. He, he was blessed from there on down. And as Ishmael and, 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 and those people watched, you know, there's a prophecy. I mean, they seen how uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then Ephraim and Manasseh. And you can trace Manasseh back to the United Kingdom and the European West and America 
right in the name, the New Jerusalem it talks about. Right in the middle is USA and the New Jerusalem. Well, that's the company of nations. Uh, all these 50 states are a company of nations. And the U.K. is the great nation. That was Manasseh, where Ephraim. Anyway, as they watch this, and there are um, Middle East people that, and I've talked to a few, that know mm -hmm. that this jealousy, uh, this, the prophecy was Ishmael's seed would be a wild man to, to everyone, including their own. And they do. They massacre their own people even. And so yeah, well, again, I, I won't paint all Muslims with a broad brush, but I, I will say I think the uh, the covenant is, is accurate. The covenant was with from uh, Abraham to Isaac and Jacob and, and, and their seed. And uh, I think it's a, a misunderstanding of, of theological history to presume it any other way. So I think you're right on that point, Joe. Thank you for your call. I got to take a quick pause here. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It is the speed round, and we've got a bunch of callers. We've got Robert in South uh, Carolina says straight people can still be attracted to the same sex. That sounds like an interesting topic. Uh, Jim in Harvard, Illinois, Joliet Township. We're going to get to you in a moment. Rob in Mitchell, South Dakota, uh, K-O-R-N. Great station, Rob. If we don't have time, promise me you'll call back in tomorrow. I definitely want to chat with you. Linda in Albany, New York, WGDJ. She says uh, educational variety is fantastic. Uh, let's go to Jim. He was next in line. Harvard, Illinois, WGN. Jim, go quickly. Okay, Joliet, hello, Rich. Joliet Township Supervisor Angel Contreras reportedly filed without a mayor's knowledge nor the board's knowledge of an immigrant asylum grant, which was awarded $8.6 million. How is that valid when there was no vote? I don't know how they appropriate money in Joliet Township, but I would suppose that whether it's a, um, a committee, uh, what they call commissioners, or a city council, there, there should be a vote on that. That's how that typically works. Um, I don't know what his discretion is and how much he can spend, but it sounds fishy, and we're going to look into that and see how we what we can find out about it because that seems to be what happens all over the place, and that's why money gets misspent all the time. Big shout-out to everybody listening. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.